Thank you for checking out our message here at Public Church. We exist to develop a public church that invites people to embrace the journey of following Jesus. We want to make you aware of how we can better connect with you through our website, publicchurch.net. Through this, you can find out more about us as a church. We hope that you enjoy this message. See, that way you guys don't miss out on anything. You get Starbucks coffee, you see both baptisms. I mean, it's just great to be part of the night crew, isn't it? But we always, here at Public Church, we always want to make a big deal of baptisms because baptism is a public portrait of Jesus bringing us from death to life. See, baptism is a public portrait of Jesus bringing us from death to life. Jesus died on the cross. He rose from the dead. That's what we're celebrating today. And he gives us the opportunity to enter into a relationship with God and be forgiven of all our sins. And without this relationship with God, we are dead. Now, not physically dead. Can everybody take a breath with me? Ready? Okay, that's encouraging. Everyone's still alive. So we're not physically dead, but without a relationship with God, here's what we mean by saying that we're dead. It means that we're hopeless. We're never fully satisfied. We're left wondering if there's more and when we are unable to connect with God. See, without a relationship with God, our creator, we will never reach our potential as humans who are made in the image of God. And a fun fact of the day, so you guys can say you learned something on Easter, is this. Dead people can't resurrect themselves. So you learned something today. But if you're dead, you're just dead. You can't do anything about it. So we needed someone to rescue us, someone to give us life. And Jesus died and rose from the dead to offer us life so that through a relationship with God, we can find hope in the midst of any situation. We can find true satisfaction and the more that we are longing for. We can actually reach our full potential as humans made in the image of God through a relationship with him that is made possible through Jesus' work on the cross and through Jesus rising from the dead. And baptism is a picture of that. See, as we saw Amber on the video and Nigel outside at the beginning, as we saw them go underwater, that's a reminder that we're dead in our sins, but Jesus raises us to life. And I love having baptisms on Easter because it's also a reminder that on this day, Jesus was dead and God raised him to life. And what's incredible at baptisms is we're not done today. We're actually having baptisms next week. We have at least two, if not three, maybe more for you guys in the 530 gathering. We've got one in the 930 next week. And we just praise God for what he's doing. And if you're here and you're interested in being baptized and talking to someone about that, there's an email on the screen, office at publicchurch.net. Send us an email. We'll get back with you. And we would love to talk with you about being baptized. And one more thing about baptisms before we move on is that we're not the only ones celebrating baptism. See, this whole Jesus thing is bigger than public church. It's bigger than Cleveland, Tennessee. And in fact, we actually partner with a local church in Chernovoda, Romania, the whole other side of the world. And we send a team there every summer just to support them, to work alongside that local pastor and encourage him and the work that God is leading him to do. And a few weeks ago, we got word that in May, that local church in Chernovoda, Romania is going to be baptizing 10 people. Can we praise Jesus for that? It's so much bigger than us, it's bigger than Cleveland, and God is moving all over the world. And here's what's incredible. You and I can be part of God's work in Chernobyl, Romania through a game, through cornhole, actually. And I did not misspeak. We can be a part of serving 
and a part of what God's doing in Chernobyl, Romania through Cornhole. Next week, we're hosting a Cornhole tournament to raise funds, to send our mission team there this summer. And it's so simple. You can go to our website. You can sign up. If you forget, you can just show up. And all you have to do to serve is show up and get beat by me. I mean, it's not even hard. In fact, just want to let you know, Caleb plays bass, Caleb Disney. He and I are actually undefeated on international soil. Now, Cameron in the back would argue that that's because we also taught them how to play. Hey, that's irrelevant. The stats for, speak for themselves. Undefeated international soil in Romania. So next week, you can serve by playing cornhole. It's going to be a great race for second place. I mean, it'll just be a great tournament. But, but it really is amazing that we can serve Jesus just through a game like that and be involved in what God is doing on the other side of the world. Now today, and tonight actually, we want to continue our series called Authentic. And if you're a guest, you may be thinking, ah, showed up in the middle of a series, that stinks. Well, actually, this is a series that we can all relate to. And here's how we've defined the word authentic. It's going to be on the screen. We're defining authentic as genuine, real, and vulnerable. And here's why I think that we can all relate to this. Because a lot of us have spent some time with our families today. Anybody spent time with your family today? And don't raise your hand on this one, especially if your family's here. And the thing about those family Easter gatherings is that oftentimes they're not characterized by authenticity, are they? They're actually characterized by a lack of authenticity. Some of you had a conversation earlier today with your aunt, and it was something like this, and it's that aunt that I'm talking about. And, and she was just talking and, and just telling you how great she was and how much better than the rest of the family she is. And, and you weren't genuine. You actually held your tongue and you didn't tell her that her casserole is not even edible. You didn't tell her that she thinks she's better than everybody. You didn't tell her that you just wanted her to be quiet. You just bit your tongue and just counted down the seconds so she stopped talking so you could walk away and eat some of grandma's cake and feel better about yourself. Maybe you had a conversation like that today. And I do want to clarify, some of you may have great families. I'm just talking about the majority of us, okay? But for, maybe, maybe you showed up at your family gathering and this miracle really happens at Easter family events. The miracle is that our lives get tremendously better. Like maybe you've lost your job recently, but when you show up at a family gathering, losing your job turns into, well, you know, I just, I'm exploring some new career opportunities, you know, uh, left that mundane job that had really good paycheck and lots of benefits. But anyway, so I'm getting to really find out what I'm passionate about. You really just lost your job, but you just spin it that way. You know, it's amazing how our life gets better. Maybe you're a parent and you've got that kid that's kind of wayward and doing their own thing. And instead of like, hey, they've quit their job or they're not in school or they've done whatever, all of a sudden it's like, you know, they're just taking a creative approach to life and they're just really trying to figure things out. And I love that they're not following the conventional paths of working or going to school you know it's just great we just love right right you know it's amazing how we can spend things but here's what I suspect that after our family gatherings as we come here for the night crew that we're a little bit tired because spinning things vague answers trying to make sure that we look good not being genuine not being real not being vulnerable it just kind of wears you out and some of you actually may have wanted to be genuine real and vulnerable at your family event but two things stopped you. Either number one, nobody asked. Or number two, when they did ask, they didn't really care. So you're like, I'm not even going to tell you because you don't really care anyway. So we leave these family events a lot of time and we're just tired. And if we were to go home tonight and take some time to reflect, and we may be too tired to do that. But if we were to take some time to reflect, I think that after days like today, a lot of us would agree that authenticity is the one thing we all want. And it's really 
the one thing we all need. And look, we can't salvage your family Easter stuff. That's already happened. We're just aiming for 2018. All right, let's moving forward for next year. But here's what we hope. We hope that these next few moments that we have together, that we can all just have a genuine encounter with Jesus. No pretense, no spinning, but that we can just have a genuine encounter with Jesus. And I hope that over the next few minutes, that you, me, that all of us can just be real and vulnerable about where we're at. Because if we will do that, what we're going to discover tonight is that there's room in the Easter story for you and there's room in the Easter story for me. So if you have your Bible or Bible app, you can open up to Luke chapter 24. And we're going to dive right into Easter morning in Luke 24. And as you're turning there, there's a, a pronoun and it just says they. And if you don't know the background, it's like, who in the world is they? Well, I wanted to make sure before we read it, we understood who they was. They as a group of women who followed Jesus and wanted to make sure Jesus was properly embalmed. So that's what it's talking about as we dive right into Luke 24, verse 1. It will also be on the screen for you. So verse 1 says this. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they, these women, went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. So these women show up, the stone has been rolled away, Jesus' body is gone, and notice how they respond. Look at verse 4. It says, while they were perplexed about this. Just stop there for a second. It says, while they were perplexed about this. That word means at a loss or puzzled. In other words, these women didn't show up at the tomb and go, Ah, Jesus rose from the dead. He's alive. Let's go tell everybody. No, they showed up and they're like, what's going on? They were puzzled. They were perplexed. For them, actually, the fact that the stone had been moved wasn't a sign of God's activity in their minds. It was just human interference. For their mind, they didn't think Jesus had been risen from the dead. They thought somebody had stolen his body. So they're perplexed. They're puzzled. And then it says, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. So some angels show up. And I don't know about you, but if I see some angels, I'm probably going to believe whatever they say. And so these angels are very convincing. And here's what they tell them. They say, hey, remember what Jesus said. Jesus said that he had to die. And that three days later, he would rise from the dead. And suddenly, after talking to these women, they remembered. They believed that Jesus had risen from the dead. And they rushed back to tell the others. Now, who are the others? The others include the 11 disciples, the men who had given their lives to follow Jesus and over the past three years had followed him around everywhere. A group larger than that of people who had as well, they were disciples. They had just given themselves to follow Jesus. So these women rush back and they say, hey, the tomb's empty. We saw a couple angels. Jesus is risen. And look how they are received in verse 11. It says, but these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. They show up to the people who'd given their lives to follow Jesus, and it says, these words seem to be an idle tale. That means pure nonsense. These men just dismiss what the women were saying as pure nonsense. When you dig into the context a little bit, it begins to make sense because the law required two male witnesses to prove something. So the law required two male witnesses to prove something because this was a male-dominated society where women didn't have much, if any, value. So when these women showed up, 
The men just dismissed them as hysteria. Oh, it's just the foolish women. And they probably thought, who's really going to believe a bunch of women? So they just dismiss them. But one of these guys, he paid attention. His name is Peter, and he's the leader of this group of disciples. And Peter's thinking, maybe we shouldn't dismiss these women so quickly. And look at Peter's response in verse 12. It says, but Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. So Peter goes, he runs in, he sees the empty tomb, he sees the grave cloths lying there, and notice what the text doesn't say. It doesn't say he went home believing what had happened. It says he went home marveling, astonished, in wonder, trying to figure out what had happened. So does the leader of the disciples believe that Jesus has risen from the dead? I don't know. See, on the first Easter, there is room for those who believe and room for those who doubt. The women see the angels, and they had to be convincing, and they believe. The men just dismiss the women, and they doubt. Peter goes for himself, and the author is at best ambiguous. We know he's marveling. We know he's in wonder, but we don't really know if Peter believes yet. And this begs the question. This is a strange way to start the Easter story. A strange way to start the Easter story, and it begs the question. Would you have written it this way? Would I have written this story this way? Because this isn't just any story. See, some context tells us this is the story. For Jesus' followers, this is the story of all stories, the moment of all moments. This is the hinge point in history. Jesus' followers point to the resurrection as the defining moment in the history of the world. So would you and would I have written the story this way, knowing that it matters that much? In fact, if, if we wonder how much the resurrection matters, a leader in the early church, his name was Paul. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you don't have to turn there, it's going to be on the screen. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14, here's what Paul says about the resurrection. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. Then what we are doing right now is useless if Christ was not raised from the dead. He's not done. He goes on in verse 15. He says this, and we apostles would all be lying about God. For we have said that God raised Christ from the grave, but that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. He said, hey, it's all a bunch of lies if Christ didn't rise from the dead. He keeps going in verse 16. He says, and if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless. Then my faith is useless. Then we are all still guilty of our sins. Then those baptisms that we just watched, they're useless. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And in case we didn't get the point, look at what he says in verse 19. In verse 19 he says, And if our hope in Christ is only for this life. In other words, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. Do you think this guy named Paul took the resurrection seriously? He said, this is the linchpin 
that the Jesus movement is built on. This is the story of all stories. This is the moment of all moments. This is the hinge point in history. And yet, the story starts out with a few believing, more doubting, and the leader just in wonder and marveling and trying to figure out what in the world is going on. What a strange way to write the most important story in history. So let's keep going. Maybe it gets better. In verse 13, it says, That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. I absolutely love this. Here's what I love about this. I love that they're having an authentic conversation. They're not talking about the weather. They're talking about, hey, these are the things that have happened. They're talking about things that really matter. And one of our goals in this series is that we would deepen relationships. They would move from casual conversations to authentic conversations. In fact, that's what we're going to be talking about next week as we close out the series. So I love that they are here just talking about real things. And then in verse 15, it says, While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. So Jesus shows up. Keep in mind, it's Resurrection Sunday. Jesus has risen from the dead. The tomb is empty. He's actually with them. But it says, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So they didn't realize it's Jesus. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And notice, notice their emotion. It says, and they stood still looking sad. Jesus, he's risen from the dead. The tomb is empty. He's actually with them right now. And yet they're filled with sadness. Is this not a strange way to write the story of all stories, the moment of all moments, to write about the hinge point in history? I mean, ladies, for just a moment, and and come on, ladies, just be with me here. So, So here's the thing, ladies. Let's say you're writing this story. You're probably not going to make women the most prominent witnesses in the story. I mean, think about the setting. This is the Roman Empire, first century Palestine. This is a time period where women have almost zero value. And so, ladies, even if you want to write the story to value women, you're probably going to do something like, hey, well, some men and some women went to the tomb, it was empty, and then everybody believed the women because the men were with them. And and that may be how you try to value women. But they write the story. The author, Luke, he writes the story in a way that it's actually dismissed as it's told. In fact, these women, when they show up in the story, they're dismissed. The men just say, no, it's just the women don't believe them. And then if you're writing the story, It's great to add some suspense. Like, I love the writing of saying, hey, some of the Jesus followers didn't believe at first. Like, that's very suspenseful. But but if you, if I'm writing the story, Peter's going to be the one that believes. Like, when the leader shows up at the tomb, it's going to be like, hey, Jesus is risen. And he's going to rally the troops. And everybody's going to follow Peter. It's going to be great. I mean, that's the story that I would have written. And I suspect that's the story that you would have written. But that's not the story At all. And then if you're going to talk about two people who are going for a walk on Sunday afternoon, we're not going to describe them as sad. If we're writing the story, we're going to be like, man, they are so fired up because they're leaving Jerusalem and Jesus is alive. But instead, the story is written to say that they're gloomy and somber. 
What a strange way to write about the story of all stories, the moment of all moments, the hinge point in history. And in order for us to understand what's really going on here, verse 21 is really key. And to set up verse 21, here's what happens. Jesus asked them, hey, why are you so sad? To which they respond, uh, where have you been? At that point, Jesus could have said, well, I was in a grave, uh, you know, for three days. I just kind of wasn't available. But he didn't say that. Jesus just said, hey, tell me. Tell me what's happening. And they said, well, there was this guy named Jesus. We thought he might actually be God. We thought he was our savior. We thought he was our deliverer. But the one who thought that we thought was going to deliver us actually got delivered over to be murdered. And he was killed. He was crucified. Did, where have you been? Did you not hear about this? And then in verse 21, that they just really reveal their mindset. They said this, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. But we had hoped. We cannot overstate what they're saying. What they're saying right here is that we, we had this expectation. We had this confident anticipation that Jesus was going to be the Messiah, that he was going to be the Savior, the Deliverer. And look, if we look at context, in the hundred years before and after Jesus, there were lots of people that claimed to be the Messiah. They claimed to be the Deliverer or the Savior. But here was the litmus test. Death. Your Messiah was the Messiah until he died. And then when he died, he was just another fake guy claiming to be the Messiah. So they're saying, hey, we had hoped that he was the Savior, and then he died. And when Jesus died on the cross, all their hopes and dreams died with him. And sure, they'd heard that the women saw an empty tomb and Peter saw an empty tomb, but all these stories, they didn't help. They were still just filled with the hopelessness. The one we'd hoped for isn't who we thought he was going to be. It really is a strange way to write this story. But if we actually read it, we realize what Easter really was. See, I think sometimes we just assume that Easter happened like everybody woke up, they went to the tomb, oh, it's empty, Jesus is right, oh, let's praise the Lord, you know, that's right, you know, he's alive, and let's just celebrate. And we just skip to that part of Easter. But the reality is, the first Easter morning was filled with some that believed, some that doubted, some that were dismissed in their claims, a leader who just marveled, we don't know what he thought, and a couple of other guys walking down the road, whose hopes were absolutely crushed. This is the actual Easter story. See, initially the empty tomb is not surrounded by joy, but doubt, confusion, and disunity. And I think this begs the question, why write the story this way? We know that the author Luke was an educated guy says he did thorough research. Why would he write the story this way? I mean, if he's really trying to convince us that this is true, why in the world would the doubters outnumber the believers? Why would you write the story this way? There's really only one explanation. That's that it's true. That Luke wrote the story this way because that's how it happened. 
Because if they were going to make up a story and try to convince us that their Messiah had risen from the dead when he really hadn't, they would not have told the story this way. The story is so bizarre that all we can do is go, it's so unbelievable, it's got to be believable. And maybe you have experienced this. Like you've been told a story and you're like, that's got to be true because you wouldn't make this up. Like if you were going to lie, I'd hope you were a better liar than that. And that's where we get to when we read the story. That if, if Luke was going to lie, we'd hope he was a better storyteller than this. Because he's not very good. It's so bizarre that all we're left to do is believe and accept that it's true. And there's so many more reasons that we can trust the resurrection stories. And that's a talk for another day. But there's actually a higher priority for us tonight than just convincing you that it's true with all the facts. And that higher priority leads us to another question. If Jesus really did rise from the dead, if these stories really are true, if Luke really wrote it this way, then why did God write it this way? Because Luke was just writing down what actually happened. If God is God and he could raise Jesus from the dead, then he could make these events unfold in any way he wanted to. So why in the world would God write a story filled with people who doubt, a leader who's confused, a few that believe, and two guys who are filled with sadness walking away? Why would God write the story this way? He could have written a much more convincing script with less skeptical characters. But why did he write it this way? There's one reason. Because God wanted us to know that there is room in the Easter story for us. God wrote the story this way. God caused the events to unfold in this sequence because he wanted us to know that there is room in the Easter story for us. So ladies, there's room in the Easter story for you. God loves you so much, ladies. That in the story of all stories, in the moment of all moments, at the hinge point of history, he wrote you into a prominent role. Because it doesn't matter what culture says about women. It doesn't matter that it took humanity thousands of years to figure out that men and women are equal. That's unbelievable, by the way. Like, we're the intelligent species, and it took us thousands of years to figure out that all humans are equal. That's just dumb. It took us that long. But that's beside the point. It doesn't matter what culture says. It doesn't matter if culture devalues you. God wrote you into the story in a way that you would know that there is room in the Easter story for you. And the role he gives you in the story is a way for him to say, I love you, and I value you. And I've loved you and valued you from the moment of creation, and I will love you and value you forever and ever because you matter to me that's God's message to you ladies and maybe you're not a lady but maybe you just feel overlooked maybe you feel like nobody even notices you nobody recognizes what you're going through nobody gets you well God does and God wrote the Easter story in such a way to let you know that there is room in the Easter story for you the story of the cross and resurrection is filled with Jews and non-Jews. It's filled with the rich and the poor. It's filled with the elderly and the young. It's filled with people from every single area of life. Because if you feel overlooked tonight, God didn't overlook you. And he wrote you into the story because he wrote it just this way. To let you know that he loves you and he values you. And if you're here tonight and you're a Jesus follower, there is room in the Easter story for us 
We're the believers in the story. We get to be the women running away from the tomb saying, you may not believe me, but Jesus is alive. As Jesus followers, we get to step into the darkest, most gloomiest places in the world and shine with the hope and love of Jesus and say that our God is not dead. Our Jesus lives and he rose from the dead. That's what we get to do in the Easter story. And if you're here today and you're a skeptic, and you're a doubter, and you're filled with questions, and maybe you're not ready to follow Jesus, there is room in the Easter story for you. See, if we actually look at the facts, on that first Easter, the doubters outnumbered the believers. And if there's room in the Easter story for you, then there's room in this church for you. And there will always be room in this church for you. See, our vision is very simple. Develop a public church that invites people to embrace the journey of following Jesus. And if you're here and you're a doubter and you're a skeptic and you're not ready to follow Jesus yet, or maybe you just have tons of questions, then that first step in you embracing the journey is us inviting you to come and just lay down your holdups. Hey, here's why I'm held up. Here's what I struggle with. Here's my doubts. Here's my questions. Here's why I'm skeptical. Just lay those down. And that may be the first step in you beginning what could be a journey of you following Jesus. See, just because you're filled with doubt, just because you're not ready to believe, there's still room in the Easter story for you because we hope that as you come on this journey with us, as we get to explore questions together, that what happened to these two guys on the road to Emmaus might just happen to you. See, they're on the road to Emmaus. They're walking, they're they're going down the road and, and Jesus begins to explain to them the scriptures, why he had to die, why he had to rise from the dead. And then it's getting late, and they say, Jesus, hey, well, why don't you stop and stay with us and eat with us? And they had to do this, okay? Hospitality was a huge deal in Middle, Middle Eastern culture at this time. It's still a huge deal today. So they had to offer him the opportunity to stay and eat with them. But Jesus said, ah, I'm just going to keep going. And then they did something they didn't have to do. The text actually says they strongly urged him to stay with them. And then Jesus broke bread and he prayed. And in that moment, here's what happened. In verse 31, it says, And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. My prayer for this Easter, I know a lot of our leaders have been praying this Easter, that people in our gatherings and people all over the city and all over the world, that this Easter, their eyes would be opened to see Jesus for who he really is. So if you're here and you're a doubter and you're skeptical and you're not ready to believe, know this, you have been and you are being prayed for. And check out how they responded once their eyes were opened. In verse 32, it says, They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And maybe that's where you're at, that that something brings you here. You don't even know what it is, but there's something inside of you that just draws you to come to gatherings. There's something that intrigues you about Jesus and about his followers. And and I'm telling you, it's Jesus. So he loves you and that he values you and there's room in the Easter story for you. And, And here's what changed. Here's what changed these guys. They encountered the risen Jesus. Because encountering the risen Jesus changes everything. Encountering the risen Jesus changes everything. Suddenly, 
they go from doubters to people who believe. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Their doubt is just transformed into belief. They actually take off after this and head back to Jerusalem to tell the other disciples, hey, we met Jesus. He's alive. We believe. And when they show up, they get word that Peter met Jesus as well. See, Peter encountered Jesus and he was changed. And what happened is as more and more people encountered the risen Jesus, more and more people were changed. Because when we encounter the risen Jesus, we cannot stay the same. And that's our prayer this Easter. That's our prayer for every single one of us, no matter where we're at in life, that we would encounter the risen Jesus and be changed. Because here's the incredible change that happened. This group of skeptics, this group of doubters changed the world. In 25 years, the story of Jesus went all the way to the capital of the world, to Rome. And it went to one of the cultural capitals of the world, to Athens. Now, we hear that in 2017, and we're like, 25 years, that's like a millennium. That's forever. But keep in mind, they couldn't just Facebook about it. They couldn't Instagram. They couldn't send a text. They couldn't pick up the phone. They didn't even have the printing press for crying out loud. If they wanted these stories copied, they had to literally write it by hand. It's a miracle. That the story of the cross and resurrection made it to Rome in 25 years. And why did that happen? Because when these doubters and skeptics encountered the risen Jesus, they were completely changed. The guy that we read about in 1 Corinthians 15, his name's Paul, the leader in the early church that said, Hey, it all hinges on the resurrection. Guess what? His story began as someone who hunted down and tried to kill Jesus' followers. That's how his story began. But when he encountered the risen Jesus, he was changed. And now he was the hunted. He was actually hunted down for being a Jesus follower. He was actually martyred for the name of Jesus. Because when he encountered the risen Jesus, everything was changed. And that's the offer for us today. That there is room in the Easter story for us. And if we encounter the risen Jesus, we cannot leave this Easter the same. So how do we do it? What happened on the road to Emmaus that went from these guys having no clue to who Jesus is to suddenly, boom, it's Jesus, we recognize him, and we are changed. Here's what happened. They invited him to dinner. They lengthened the conversation. They actually, here's what they did, they, they lingered. See, everything changed when suddenly they said, no, no, Jesus, we want you to eat with us. We're going to create more space in our life for you, and we want to share a meal with you. We're going to linger. And when they lingered, they encountered the risen Jesus. See, we've asked some questions of the author tonight. We've asked some questions of God. But all of those questions come down to one question for you and me this Easter. Will I linger to encounter the risen Jesus? Jesus. Will I linger to encounter the risen Jesus? And in John's account of the resurrection, there's this beautiful picture of what it looks like to linger. See, in John's account, what happens is John and Peter, they both go to the tomb. And in my opinion, John and Peter are a lot like me, and I think they're probably like you. They show up, they see that the tomb's empty, and they're like, all right, peace. We've done what we need to do. Check that off the list. And they go home. The text says they literally just go home. That's me. All right, I've showed up. I've seen it. Let's move on to the next thing. And they just go home. But Mary, another lady in the story, Mary, says she lingers. 
Shasta sits outside the tomb and she's weeping. And she doesn't linger because she believes. She lingers as a skeptic. She lingers as one full of doubt. In fact, Jesus himself shows up and she doesn't recognize him. And Jesus says, hey, why are you weeping? And she said, because they took Jesus' body and I don't know where he is. In other words, I'm a skeptic and I'm a doubter, but I'm going to linger and actually take a few moments to process my emotions. And as she lingered, suddenly Jesus said, Mary. And in that moment, she encountered the risen Jesus and everything changed. See, one of the keys this Easter to encountering Jesus is to linger. So will you, will I, will we linger to encounter the risen Jesus? And look, series called Authentic. So I've got to be authentic about lingering. Sometimes it bothers me, okay? If I'm at a restaurant on a date with my wife and somebody comes up to the table and they're wanting to, like, talk for a while, that lingering bothers me. Anybody with me just being authentic? I'm not saying I'm right, probably wrong about this, but it's just like I start dropping social cues. Like, I'm checking my phone. I'm like, waitress, can we get the check to go box? Hey, you can clean this table. I think the restaurant's closing. I'm dropping these cues and they're just hanging out there. And I'm like, oh my goodness, will you please leave? It's killing me. Like, I didn't come to the restaurant to eat with you. I came to eat with my wife. I wanted to eat with you. I would have invited you. And you'd be sitting here. So could you just stop lingering? And sometimes it just bothers me. But here's the thing about lingering. Even though it bothers us sometimes. Here's the thing about lingering. That when both parties choose to linger, magic happens. When both parties choose to linger, that's when the special moments occur. Because I also remember a time when I was a lingerer. When I wanted to date Whitney. And we were both serving in the student ministry at North Cleveland Baptist. And I just so happened. If she parked here, I'd park just a few parking spots behind her. So I had to walk by her car to get to mine. Anybody, any guys in the room done this? And the thing is, I would serve my heart out for Jesus until she was ready to leave. Terrible motives. I wasn't really serving. I just wanted to hang around and linger until she was ready to go. And then when she had to go, it was amazing. I just had to walk by her car to get to mine. I don't even know how that happened. But here's the thing. I lingered, and we got married. When you linger... When you linger, special things happen. See, those are the moments in relationships that you make memories. When you set aside the cell phone, when you take off the watch, and just say, right now in this moment, I'm in. That's when the magic happens. And that's what Jesus is asking us to do this Easter. We set aside the cell phone, we put off the watch. Will we just linger with him? Because for some of us, it may have been years since we've actually read the Easter story. We're so busy going to this and that and all these things that we haven't actually sat down to read the story and spend time with Jesus ourselves. So as we leave here this week, will we linger? Will we open the Bible and spend time with Jesus because Sunday isn't enough? And maybe you're doing that. But the way you spend time with Jesus is, oh, i got to get this done, check it off, move on. I'm going to go home. I'm just like Peter and John. That's who I am too often. And Jesus is saying, would you slow down and give me some space? But you will linger. That's when the magic happens. For some of you, it may be committing to a community group. And look, for community group leaders in the house, I'm not saying that they linger at your house all night. Okay, I just want to clarify that. But here's what lingering may look like in that sense. It may look like you choosing to commit 
to giving up a night that you could be doing a thousand other things and, and go into a community groups so that you can be around other Jesus followers because you know that if you're around other Jesus followers, there's a chance that you will encounter the risen Jesus. That's what lingering may look like for you. For some of you, it's just saying, hey, you follow Jesus and I respect you. Can we get coffee? Can we go to lunch? Because I want to meet Jesus through you. Can we just linger for a moment? So the question of Easter is, will, will you and I, will we linger? So the band's going to come up. And the way we're going to close out this gathering is we're going to have an opportunity to begin to linger right here in this moment. And there's several ways that you and I can take a moment and linger. And hopefully, and we're praying that all of us, as we linger, that we encounter the risen Jesus. So one way is by simply getting out your phone and sending, sending us an email. There's going to be an email on the screen, conversations at publicchurch.net. We want to keep this conversation going. And if you're doubting and you've got questions, send us an email. Maybe that's how you linger, by extending the dialogue outside of this space. For others of you, it may be going to the refuge room. In just a moment, there's going to be someone underneath the exit sign, and they would love to pray with you, love to listen to you, and that could be how you could linger this Easter. For others of you, it may be simply sitting there, journaling, drawing something, just reflecting, just opening your Bible. It may be grabbing a friend and praying with him or with her. But in these moments, will we linger? And when you're ready, lingering may be simply just standing and singing a song and worshiping through music, because that's also a way to linger. And you can just worship Jesus and let your song begin in this space and let it continue through your lifestyle as you leave this space. And if you are here and you're not a Jesus follower and you're saying, I want to follow him, I want the life that he offers, then in these next few moments, just be honest with Jesus. You don't have to pray a special prayer because if you want to follow Jesus, the prayer's already on your heart. Just tell him what you feel. Just be honest with him. And before you leave, please, please, please tell someone else so that we can start that journey with you. See, when we linger, we have a chance to encounter the risen Jesus and take our place in the Easter story. So these next few moments, will you and will I, will we do that? Jesus, would you please speak to us? Jesus, we just want to sit here for a few moments, and we just want to spend time with you. And so Jesus, as we do that, I just ask that you let us encounter you. And as we do, Jesus, would you change us forever? In your name we pray.